And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello and welcome to the show. It's brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Dan here from The Square Ball with Michael Normanton as well as Phil Hay from The Athletic. Fresh from Jesse Marsh's pre-Accrington press conference, which we'll deal with momentarily. show is twice a week until uh, until March. Friday edition is about the post uh, press conference chat and uh, we'll find out what Jesse said and we'll kind of get into it in due course. Plenty of written coverage on Leeds United as well on The Athletic, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod to get the new year offer to read everything that Phil writes about and you even get to interact with him. Can't look him in the eyes but you can get to exchange words with him, written words. Oh you can. Yeah, no, I love people <laughs> looking me in the eyes. <laughs> uh, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod to get on board with The Athletic. Right then, the, the press conference, the Jess conference, the, the FA Cup. Yes. Where should we begin then, Phil? Uh, We've got a bit of illness and injury. We've got some Cody drama. Uh, team selections for, for the FA Cup. We'll, we'll speak, I think, more in more depth about the FA Cup game towards the back end of the show. Deal with transfers in the middle bit. So where do you want to start in part one then? Why don't we get into what you finished up talking about, which was tactics and width and... I thought it was going to be what's your favourite shaped cup. Well, well th- that as well, yes. And didn't go for the Champions League, European Cup. Um, went for the FA Cup. I personally think the Scottish Cup has a nicer shape than the FA Cup, but then again, I would. Um, yeah, the stuff about... Me and Dan have just both started we'll frantically Googling just Scottish Cup yes. there. Yeah, just yeah. before you go any further, we will... Uh... Oh, yeah, no, it's Come a on then, and by all means, message in. That is a handsome... Fight the... you know, it's a handsome Arnie trophy. The toss. It's also got a quality base on it. I was just going to say that the base is what makes it for mm. me there, yeah. There, there are echoes of the FA Cup, but it's got bigger ears. I think it may be older as well, but I could well be making that up. So no, not, not trophy shape. And, and mind you, having said that, in America, they don't have to make their trophies massive, don't they? Like the Stanley Cup in, in ice mm. hockey always looks like you need about eight people to um, to lift it. So they take that sort of thing quite seriously. I Can think, you imagine? You know? I mean, everything's bigger in the States though, isn't it? Like, could you imagine what they'd make of the ashes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is, is it a tiny little urn? Yeah, you'd have um, you'd have some crypto company going, make this 30 times the size. It, yeah. it's, um, it's reminiscent of, um, oh, what's the film about the band with Stonehenge? Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you've seen that, you'll know what I'm referring to. If not, we'll move on. Yeah, I was going to say, enough of this bollocks. Let's let's advance. Uh, Yeah, I I think it would be quite good to get into the conversation that he was having about um, tactics and with, and referencing, and and it was him who brought this up, the list that people will probably have seen, the bullet points uh, that someone took a photo of inside Ellen Road listing his principles essentially the, the crux of his football um, how it works and everything else and and the, the part that he got on to talking about was the particular mention in it of minimal width um, which was how that discussion started up yeah for anybody who hasn't seen it yeah, keys to the game wasn't it eight bullet points of, of which you can quite easily apply them to the football that we're seeing so fast starts um, stay aggressive minimal width vertical counter press so on and so on. Shifting, pumping and defending forward. You've been, you been doing much pumping today, Phil? Well, as it happens, uh, John Muller, our, one of our stats guys, um, who knows far more about tactics and stats and, and data than, than I do. I mean, a hell of a lot of people know a lot, an awful lot more about a hell of a lot of things than I do. But on that specifically, John knows his stuff. So John got in touch with me and said, look, what is pumping? And I said to him, listen, just, just be careful on Google <laughs> when, you, when you're digging around for this. However, the, the honest answer is I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And your natural assumption is that it's an American phrase, but John said could as easily be a, you know, a Red Bull thing, a Red Bull reference, given that, um, that Marsh has been through, through that system. And a contact of his, and I'm sure John won't mind me sharing this, said that it is basically the equivalent of stepping up. So the player who's closest to the ball moves towards the ball and when that happens, others reposition so that they're ready to go in and um, and interact with the press as well. That essentially is pumping, as it was described to us. Whether that's how Marsh sees it, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but that was one definition, um, according to to somebody who kind of knows about this stuff. But anyway, these this was kind of laid out as the principles of Marsh's football, um, finishing with number eight, celebrate moments in the spirit of, I guess, what we've been seeing quite a lot of in football 
particularly with defenders of, you know, more and more celebrations of tackles and small, you know, small wins, I suppose, in games. A, a little bit reminiscent of what you see in NFL when they sack the quarterback, pretending that I know what I'm talking about, but you, you know what I mean. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Pontus Jansen, Rasmus Christensen, we see it yes. from them, yeah, yeah. Christensen is a good example. You've seen a lot of that from him, yeah. So what do you make of the, the lack of width? That's the political hot potato, isn't it, around Leeds United at the minute? That uh, He seems to obviously be very well wedded to the, the Red Bull system that plays more narrow than, more narrow, narrower than, uh, than other people might be used to or may favour. Well, the way we got into this conversation was a start the, through, and it was, you know, kind of a, a, a little bit convoluted. It started with Chris Armas, who's joined as coach, assistant head coach to Marsh. Was at Manchester United last season. Um, again, what to New York Red Bulls with Marsh and then coached them after Marsh um, in the States. So another another kind of product of the of the Red Bull system, if you like. We got into discussion about what Red Bull football is, you know, what the principles of it are. Marsh said to, to his mind, it's kind of more German than it is Red Bull, if you know what I mean. Um, that it, it's applying a lot of principles that you see in German football as opposed to Red Bull having their unique system out, outside of that. Can I say Gegen pressing now? Is that appropriate? In the sort of Jürgen Klopp spirit style I'm just trying it, to appear knowledgeable, Phil. Yes, throw, <laughs> throw, in little, throw in little things like XG differential every now and again and, um, and, and you'll have people on toast. So from that point, I asked him, you know, what then has the Premier League taught you? And more to the point, what what has it made you do differently? Or, or, or what have you felt like you should do differently? And he spoke a lot about how, or he, he got onto the subject of how a lot of coaches and a lot of clubs and, and teams at the top level in England follow the Guardiola model or, or follow a version of it, a, a kind of, I guess, a, a, not the not the out-and-out Guardiola, uh, Guardiola model, but, you know, the same sort of principles, the same idea, the, the same kind of style, which I think it's fair to say Marsh definitely doesn't. But from that point, it led on to discussion about width. And he was asked um, by a reporter from PA, what's the benefit of width, essentially, of minimal width? What is the point of a team having no width and what, and what is it supposed to achieve? And I think what Marsh was trying to get at was that, as he sees it, the more bodies that you have in one position... And I think this links very heavily to counter-pressing. The more bodies you have in a position where you're trying to counter-press, the more bodies you have, A, to do the counter-pressing, but then B, to pick the ball up uh, and to provide passing options as and when the ball comes to you and, and possession turns over. And he spoke again about you know the, the goal being in the middle of the pitch as opposed to the corners or the sideline, which he's talked about before, You know, so play kind of gravitating in that direction. Do you think um, he'd do away with the corners if you could maybe we could slice a big part of the pitch out just make it a sort of rhombus or something yeah. something like that go for a diamond it's, it's an option get in touch with the Premier League tend to like that sort of mm. stuff don't they Premier League anthem yeah that can that can be your job so you know that that's that's very much how he sees it he was saying that minimal width is a Guardiola principle as well although I have to say that when I watch Man City play the, the thing that strikes you more often than not is the fact that when they attack they do tend to attack with the front five and they do tend to have a, a lot of a lot of width and also it is Guardiola's trend to play with a right footer on the right side, a left footer on the left side again just to, to stretch the play. I suppose I'd have to watch City really closely in other aspects to see actually if there is, if there are points of the game where they use kind of minimal width. But it does seem to me that when you look at the way Leeds play, it's very, very different to the way that a lot of sides play in this division. It, it absolutely is. And I think... Where we're at now is that in order for this to come good for Marsh, it has to work. You know, it has to work. In order for this system to be vindicated and in order for him to be able to say, this is a, a valid method of uh, of approach in the Premier League, this is a valid method of trying to attack and defend, it needs to start delivering results. When he started comparing the, the style to Man City, I was wondering if I, was, I felt like I, it was gaslighting me a bit. I was thinking, but they... But Man City do play with width. They have the fullbacks pushed. They hug the touchline. They have the fullbacks pushed really high up, and then you've got normally got someone like, like Grealish or Bernardo Silva or Mares. Mares just it's Mares stands, stands really on the wide. Touchline, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the problems with City is that they commit a lot of players to attacking areas if they're uh, attacking forward, um, but they do it in a totally different way to Leeds. So whereas Leeds can be really compact and and quite congested. City do tend to spread this five across the pitch and it's an absolute nightmare to play against because they kind of back themselves not only to be able to push that many players forward but to be able to cover when they lose the ball and to be able to cope defensively and they're extraordinarily well drilled and they and they have the, the best players going give or take so that, that definitely helps. 
But there's so many players in attack that it's really difficult to mark and it's really difficult to read and it's really difficult to keep on top of. Hence why Haaland keeps popping up and going bang. I've got a question. I've raised my hand like I'm in school here because yes, I've got a question it, yeah. about this. Yeah, uh, It doesn't translate that well onto the audio, but, <laughs> but just, just trust me, I did. But I watched Leeds against Brentford and it seemed like Leeds were trying to force the ball through the middle and it was like school football at times, the, the swarming around the ball and just not being able to... It was like they're trying to almost attritionally force the ball through in the defence. And then you look at spaces out wide and you think, if you put a man out there, even for a bit, and give him the ball, it gives him a bit more space to attack into. Like Willie Nonto, perfect example. If he's got space to run into, he's more effective perhaps than if he's tightly marked or he's got you know Jack Harrison holding his hand or whatever it might be next to him on the pitch. So is there not... I, mean, I know I'm talking a really basic concept here, asking a really basic question, but is there surely not some merit in using space when it's available rather than just constantly trying to force the ball through a really, really congested area in the middle? I was thinking about this after the game at the weekend and Brentford on the one hand were really disciplined at the back and defended very well. But I think given the attacks that were coming at them, I think Thomas Frank would probably have been pretty annoyed if they'd been cut open by by some of those. It, it's the, the thread of the needle thing that in certain circumstances is, is really difficult. But actually, when I look at some of the games and, and you think back through the games and the attacking positions that Leeds are in, it would be totally wrong to say that they don't have positions or don't get into positions in slightly wider areas where good deliveries can can come from. But I don't feel, or to look at them and, and to look at the quality of the service that comes out wide, I don't think they're really drilled or really minded to deliver quality from, from those areas. I don't think they're set up or, I, I don't know whether it's a, a, a case of how they train or whatever else, but in wide areas, and this was the case against Brentford, what was developing out there was not really turning into quality chances in the middle so again you know the, the Rodrigo shot is from central zone uh, Nonto's shot okay he's in the kind of wider section of the of the box but it's still from an, an attack down the centre I can think of moments when Ailing was out wide um, Nonto in the first half a lot of possession on the left but it, it you know it isn't isn't coming to anything and I think perhaps because that's just not the way they're drilled there were moments in that Brentford game when there were big crossfield passes that seemed to be quite effective I don't know if you if you thought the same when it would go from the left-hand side of the pitch, particularly the first half, I'm thinking over to Ailing, who would be bombing on down the right. So we are using width in that sense, that the fullback is allowed to exploit the width. But then when we're in attacking areas, it doesn't feel like we're trying to stretch the defence. Yeah, uh, I'd, I mean? like, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Like, so, so the person who's then on the right is tucked right in, possibly even in that melee over towards where the ball is. So there's never that option of the out ball to the other side of the pitch. It's always trying to force it through that same area, a little interchange of passes, and it's not... It's, it's had mixed results, hasn't it? Because we're not absolutely terrible by any stretch of the imagination. But you would sometimes like to see somebody look up and go, ah, there's a man in space there. Because the Brentford tried to attack us using the same tactic. If you watch what they did, they'd attack down one side and immediately look to the far side to try and stretch the play. Jesse I, did uh, He did address the the back post today again, didn't he? He did it with a slight wry smile, I thought, when he was saying about... Um, the question was about... It was your question, in fact, wasn't it, Phil? About what the Premier League has taught him. And he was basically saying that... Um, everyone's good and if, if you, and some people pass it to the back post and score that's very much um, that's very much paraphrasing what he said but that he did seem to slightly address it I thought today yeah Brentford I thought were massively direct at the weekend um, to an extent that I didn't expect it's not that they don't do that and everybody kind of knows that that's what they do but it maybe it was just a reflection of the fact they didn't really get into the game properly or, or get on top of the game Frank said afterwards he wasn't particularly delighted with the, the performance it, it was funny digging through the uh, defensive stats which I did last week to see that actually when it comes to set pieces and corners in particular they're not that vulnerable leads they're nowhere near as vulnerable as I think a lot of us kind of feel that they are or, or think that we see it's in open play that the the problems develop and they more than most teams in the, the Premier League are, are susceptible if you look at the stats and the numbers that, that opt to record for this they are more susceptible I think than about four to, only four or five other clubs to counter-attacks and chances at the end of those counter-attacks so I think it's quite obvious where the where the weaknesses lie but I mean this is this is Marsh's style and it's quite it's quite obvious I think that he's going to stick to it and what I was interested to know from the question I asked was you know have, have you kind of changed the way you think about tactics of the way you think about football the, the ideas that you see in the Premier League as opposed to say the Bundesliga or the Austrian Bundesliga has it taught you anything new but I still feel that the principles of, of the way that Leeds are playing are the same as they were when he first came in last February. Do you feel like you got an answer to that question? 
I think well, I, I think he didn't give any indication that he'd necessarily changed his train of thought or, or his philosophy. I think if anything, it gave the impression that he was a hundred percent prepared to stick to what he was doing and to and to trust that it's it's going to work. And as I say, I think that's that's where he's at now. It, it kind of has to work, doesn't it? If if this is going to work, then it will. If it isn't going to work, then it will come to an end. And it feels like I guess that's the uh, the kernel of it, if you like, of where he's at in terms of his managerial reign now, heading into this crucial spell of fixtures, looking for a method to start working that we're not quite sure that it's it's got merits in it, and it needs, but it needs to deliver now. Well, better players will help. So if if Jorginho Ruta is as good as we hope he's going to be, and and as good as he he's been, as you know, mentioned in dispatches from Hoffenheim, make him sound, then he will add to the attacking line he'll bring a little bit more threat um, he, he could be a, a really valuable asset in the second half of the season people will have seen the links to Weston McKinney and we've spoken before about um, Azadine Unahi at Angers as well um, I think if Leeds do a central midfielder before the end of the window then it's another string to the bow without a doubt you have to say though that there is the feeling of the club back in Marsh at, at every turn and I think that was certainly apparent with Chris Armas coming in. We reported over the summer that Armas was going to be his number two. And then for personal reasons, Armas didn't arrive. It was Rennie Maric who who came in as Marsh's assistant instead. We were told, and I haven't spoken to Armas about this, so I can't say for sure, but we were told that Armas was none too happy with the way, with I think the coverage and the narrative around him at Manchester United. There was a, one story in particular, which I was told had upset him, which was, you know, the story saying that players were comparing him to Ted Lasso and, Marsh kind of brought that up today saying that moniker passes from me to him now. Yeah, it was just a joke, but you know, that that that, that was kind of part of what was being said and being talked about at, at Manchester United. And the feeling seemed to be that he hadn't enjoyed that experience of the Premier League and wasn't certain about um, staying in it. I can't say if that was absolutely the motivation, but he's here now and he's the person who Marsh has gone back to um, since Mark Jackson went to, to MK Dons to manage them. And, you know, that combined with the signing of Verba, Ruta, you know, the, the other signings that have been made, the, the kind of commitment to this model and, and to Marsh's idea makes it feel, you know, turn after turn as if the club really, really do want this to work and have certainly not given up on it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You mentioned Ruta there in uh, in part one, Phil. He's no longer our shiny new toy. We want another one. We want Weston McKinney from, <laughs> from Juventus. Um, are we just wrangling over, over fees now? Is that where we're at? A little bit like Unahi, and we we've chatted about this a few times. There's obviously the, the there's the matter of cost, which is a, a big factor in the transfer leads doing. And I know that you would say it's a big factor in the transfers that any club do, but some clubs are more predisposed to having available cash than others. And without getting bogged down again in the Radazani 49ers setup, anytime leads do a transfer, they they 
need money. Um, unless they're selling players, they need money to, to come in from um, shareholders, um, effectively. There was actually around Ruter some talk about the possibility of offering Hoffenheim um, a loan uh, loan obligation deal. You know, saying we'll loan him now, we'll pay a fee for him, we will uh, be obligated to take him in the summer. Um, but our understanding was that the, the 49ers were quite influential, or 49ers Enterprises were quite influential in saying, no, do you know what, let's just get this done, let's, let's do it permanent, let's sign him, let's get it over the line. So with McKenney, I mean, I mean, I don't know how much people will have followed the story with Juventus in Italy at the moment, but they are just coming out the other side of an investigation into alleged financial um, irregularities, which has led to a 15-point deduction. Hey, well, yes. <laughs> like old times. Um, we all in, shuddered then. In, yeah. in Serie A. I mean, Juventus have been naughty. I didn't see that coming. Well, apparently so. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I'm no. an old <laughs> within with the details of this. Neither are you, Daniel. No. Um, but, um, just they've got no form for this stuff. <laughs> but but let, let's just say that um, you, you don't tend to get a 15-point no. deduction for nothing, despite everything that was said in 2007 as well. There have also been sanctions against um, former club executives. Uh, and it is generally a, a bit of a mess and they're going to have to restore their balance. And the, the feeling in Italy and the message that seems to be coming from Turin um, and the ownership there is that they would quite happily take a fee for Weston McKinney at this point, they would quite happily trim him from the wage bill. Wages, I don't think, would be um, much of an issue for Leeds. I think they would be able to get um, McKinney done on that front. But as with Unahi, and it's slightly different to Unahi because Unahi before the World Cup was a £8 million to £12 million player, somewhere in the region of, of £10 million. This side of the World Cup, repeat myself here, but you know, £20 to £25 million. And there are examples in the past of it being a flawed strategy to pay big for a player on the basis of one international tournament. Having said that, he looked very good and it would be, I think, unreasonable to, to expect that his value wouldn't increase or a club wouldn't want more money for him based on a very good performance at, at the World Cup. But that one really hasn't progressed. I think a couple of weeks ago, we were all wondering if that was going to get going because Leeds were talking about it a lot. But that that is in the background and doesn't seem to have moved forward um, at this stage. The, the the talk this week, the noise this week has been around about McKenney. But again, you know, it, it would it would come the player leads like hundred percent, but it would come down to cash. Feels to me from a fan point of view that with what under a week left of the window now or thereabouts, they're just sitting tight on this one, letting it cook, see what Juventus do, see who blinks first. Because you know Juventus are going to want Leeds to pony up. Leeds are going to want Juventus to drop their price. It's one of those where everybody just lets it simmer for a while. This is by no means unusual at Leeds actually you almost feel like every window goes like this. And we saw it with Gakpo and Dieng and um, Nonto is slightly different because that deal had already been done. It was just supposed to wait for a later window and was um, was brought forward because the, the Dieng offer fell through. But Gakpo was, you know, an, an example of that, that at the last minute, suddenly somebody thinks that there's a deal to be done. So having thought, oh, we're finished or we might not do anything else. And, you know, to go back to Kinnear's programme notes a few days before the window closed, that seemed to be the message. You know, we're we're done you know we're, we're sorted so at this point in the window I think you always say to yourself never say never because you don't quite know what's going to move you don't qu- quite know what what's going to change or who's going to be more accommodating in the last few days of the window than they have been um, up to to this stage suffice to say Leeds have done what they wanted to do in this window primarily you know they've done the priorities which after a fashion is a left back you know, Max Verber, um, Vuber apparently actually, somebody was in touch with me saying the umlaut means Vuber. I must ask him, but uh, we'll, you know. <laughs> if, we, if only you had access. Yeah, shall we, shall, shall we, shall we pivot to Vuber, do you think, or shall we stick with Verber? Uh, we, we got into this on our show this week, didn't we? And we listened to, to a pronunciation of it um, and it seems to be Vuber. Yeah, Vuber. Vuber, yeah. okay. I'm happy with that. Um, so they've got Vuber, who is a centre-back historically, but has been left back for um, Salzburg before coming here. And in Leeds' mind, has as provided cover for that position, which they, they wanted to do. And then Ruta, who, again, you wouldn't pigeonhole as an out-and-out number nine. He can play in other roles, but that is pretty much what he wants to do. And that's what, what he, he tends to do. Uh, so they've, they've covered the, the forward area as well, attacking area, which, you know, those were the those were the two key things for them before the window opened. But since Mateus Cleek was released and, and allowed to, to do that deal with DC United, it's kind of felt as if the door has been open for a central midfielder and that it's really rested I think McKenney and Unahi are definitely both there to be done if somebody pays the money 
but they probably both fall into the category of players that you only want to push the valuation so far. Yeah, and that's I'd, not to suggest that they're both as we don't like, as in both of them. No, 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 no. Sorry, <laughs> um, not, no. I did actually tweet the piece that I wrote this morning because it, it there was part of it that kind of implied that they were both going to be peering through the mist. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, no, no. It would be um, it would be either or. Um, it it might conceivably be neither as well. I, I mean, at, at this stage. It's definitely not the case that Leeds are saying somebody will absolutely be coming in. But it has felt, since Cleek moved on, that, yeah, the, the door's been open to the possibility that, that that would happen. And they've already committed £40 million to this window. So in no way would I suggest that they should unequivocally be pushing the spending to £60 million, £65 million by doing a £20-25 million midfielder. But I do think that if they were to do that and if they were minded to do it the squad would be noticeably better for it when it comes to the fee on, on uh, McKenney do you think the commercial aspect of it maybe will push us to go a little bit higher on it given the the American thing which I know is <laughs> I know is annoying some people but it's well, um, he, I mean he is a good player I mean, why does that annoy people by the way because we've got six Spaniards in the squad yeah and a Scottish journalist writing about them. Yeah. That must be even more annoying. I, I do get it. I'm not being disingenuous. Yeah, I do, no, I do no, understand no. why I, people are saying, you know, you, maybe you could go for other targets if they weren't American, but you're going think, for those because they I, are. It, isn't it more the case that it hasn't really worked or gone to plan so far? And So the, the more investment that there is in this model, the more people are probably going to sit and say, is this wise? Like, is this, you know, the sensible way to go? And, and as ever, the proof will be in the pudding when this all, all plays out. It's an interesting question, that, because we wrote, um, a long piece for the Athletic before Christmas about Tyler Adams and the impact or I guess the, the commercial benefits that there might be to Leeds of having a US MNT captain as he is at the moment in the squad in the lead up to 2026 which is obviously based in the States and Canada the World Cup States, Canada and, and Mexico pretty much a home World Cup for um, the US so McKinney would fall into that category as well another face of the US national squad but McKenney is probably it's probably at the moment more of a visible face in the States or more of a recognisable face than Adams. You know, speaking to commercial people over there, they were saying it'd be completely wrong to say that Tyler Adams is a household name in America. He, he just isn't. He's a household name with people who know about football. But to people who don't follow the sport or aren't interested in the sport, there'll be a lot of them who have no real awareness of him at all. Pulisic, Christian Pulisic has always been of for in recent years has been the face of of that squad and you know the, the player that people recognise more than any other. The feeling of, of people who follow this stuff is that McKenney would be second in the list and Adams definitely close behind now um, after the the World Cup in Qatar. So yeah, commercially there, there could be an upside to that, but here and now it seems to me that the recruitment you're doing can't really focus. It can't be allowed to be weighted on the basis of what's going to happen in the run-up to the World Cup. It surely has to be based on what the difference is going to be now and, you know, in, in the in the, in the short to medium term. I mean, on the flip side of this, Weston McKinney is a Champions League level footballer. Yes. And we probably don't get him without his mates being in Leeds. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. One of my colleagues was onto us all this morning about you know wanting to speak to people in, in Europe about the fact that English clubs seem to be in for every single transfer and every, sing- every single good, strong, big transfer, there's an English club involved who quite often have more money than any of the other teams on the continent who are, who are getting involved. And in these circumstances, when was the last time Juventus were this much of a mess or, or I guess this week in Italian football? You know, they won't go close to winning the title this year. They've got a hell of a lot to sort out. It feels like the days when they were just kind of rattling off you know, Scudetto after Scudetto is is probably shelved for now, and they're they're going to have to have to recover. So, but you're right. I mean, if you're trying to play cards and you're trying to play trying to play an ace card, it's not a bad thing having Tyler Adams in the mix. And you wonder, is there with things shifting over in the direction of the 49ers, if we are to tiptoe around that one euphemistically, is there going to be more of a willingness, maybe just to go that little bit further financially and just maybe get this one over the line, give yourself the best chance of of succeeding of getting out of this because. Like you said, Phil, add McKenney to this midfield and suddenly it's looking like a really strong team and one that you think could play its way out of trouble. Well, that was the attitude with with Ruta, was that it's far better to do it permanently than it is to do it on loan. Although there, there will be a, have been a financial consideration there as well in that the 49ers probably did not want to 
get landed with the full fee. You know, the, if the fee is pushed further down the, the line, i.e. first instalment in the summer rather than um, now or, or shortly, then if the club is sold before then, then it probably falls to them. And I mean, this stuff is, without seeing it on paper, it's in, incredibly difficult, stroke impossible to know how this all divvies up between them and, and Radrazani. But that said, it you know, money still comes into play and there will, I think there'll be, there'll be some pragmatism applied to this. I, I get, Orta, Victor Orta is one of those people, one of those recruitment people who is always, always there looking for a deal, always looking for a deal. And, and I think likes at the end of the window to say to the club, listen, we could do this, we could do this, this player's come up, this is an opportunity, why don't we? And then obviously it falls to the, the people in charge of the money and the accounts to say, yes, we can or, or no, we can't. So let's see. There's a lot going on, actually. There's there's plenty happening. There's Leicester, interest from Leicester and Jack Harrison. There is Cody Dramme going out to Luton. That'll probably be done by the time people listen to this. On Harrison, is there interest in him signing a contract, though? That, that's kind of been the, floated today in the presser. So with Harrison, his, his contract ends in 18 months' time. He's beyond the age now and has been for a while where you would be due any compensation if he reaches the end of his deal. And if he gets into the last 12 months, then clearly his value starts to diminish um, pretty drastically. And that was part of the thinking with Phillips and Rafinha last summer was that if you were going to sell them, that was, the, that was the time to do it. You know, from that point onwards, you were never going to get as much as was on offer in, in that particular window. Leeds quite often do this at this time of year, delay contract talks until after the window's closed so that they don't get tangled up between doing transfers. And I mean, if you think of the amount of time that was devoted in the week that um, Ruta signed to actually getting that done the last thing you want is contract talks going on at the same time and having to, to juggle the two balls so what normally happens is that the January window closes and then contract talks probably see this with Robin Koch as well can start up and, and get dealt with and my understanding is very much that the plan has been and, and I think still is to try to get Harrison tied to a new contract when the window ends there's a reluctance to sell him to Leicester because of where Leicester are in the in the table uh, round about them there's an acceptance that Leicester will pay him more than Leeds would pay him without any doubt and there's enough whispering about this at the Leicester end to make me think that Leicester are sort of quietly hopeful that this might fall into place but Mars was fairly clear when he was asked about it today that he's important that they need him he seemed to be saying without saying say he said that about Click. I think it was different with Click though because with, with Click it was it was that sort of, um, I guess, abstract abstract tone of, yeah, you know, he's, he's an important part of the squad. I thought he was much stronger and firmer on Harrison today. It didn't in as many words say he won't be leaving, but I thought that was, I thought that was what he was trying to say. I never felt, if you, if you think back with Cleek before um, the, the season started up when we asked about Marsh said, uh, sorry, season before, um, after the World Cup when the season got going again, Marsh said a few times, yeah, I don't really want to discuss Clicks future, you know, it's we've got to see what happens, we've got to see how it, it all plays out. He was pretty much hinting at the fact that there was an offer on the table, and you know, it, it might well be that that they parted ways. That wasn't really the way it was put with Harrison today. I I didn't think, but again, you know, having talked about the unpredictability of the the back end of the window, that doesn't only apply to players coming in. So my next question, Phil, is let's try and uh, ruin your credibility some more and, oh, predict, and predict what's going to happen over the next five to six days then before the window closed. Because no. be this I, time next week, we'll be able to reflect on a window that's closed and assess whether it's been good or bad or indifferent or somewhere in between. What do, you, what, what do you think is going to happen? It's as, it's as much a mugs game as predicting scorelines, which is why we've stopped this season. <laughs> um, so no, I'll not um, I'll not hang myself by, um, by predicting. But I think, as I say... Uh, the, the vibes, I think, are that Harrison will most likely stay, but I am conscious of where he's at with his contract and I, I certainly can't speak for him. With McKenney, I feel like Leeds will be very tempted to do it if the price is right. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit DirecTV.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. We'll get into Accrington in a minute, but uh, Bielsa, Everton, what is going on there, Phil? What's what's on the on the jungle drums? What are they saying? We, we can we can reasonably not drink Buckfast with this one, I think, because this is an actual live topic of conversation with Bielsa. At the moment, what's going on with him is exactly what you would expect to be going on, which is that Everton, having shown the hand and said, and Mashiri, their owner in particular, and said we would like Bielsa, it has quickly been shown that you don't appoint him in the space of a day or a couple of days and that in no time at all you get drawn into the sort of negotiations that Bielsa insists on having um, before he he takes a job. It's Thursday afternoon as we speak there have been reports this afternoon that he's actually in London now he's he's travelled to to England I, I can't honestly say if, if that's true or not I don't know but let's let's assume that it is. Everton seemed to want to have this done as in have a manager appointed by the weekend before the weekend there are strong suggestions over the water that Mexico want Bielsa and that um, they feel like they might be quite close to, to doing that but obviously in the past sort of three, four, five months we've seen Bolivia link with them Colombia link with them Bournemouth have an actual go at trying to, to appoint them and at one stage people in Argentina were suggesting that that was getting pretty close but it didn't happen and they they, they ended up appointing Gary O'Neill instead so we wait to see really I mean <laughs> The thing about this is that if Bielsa was to pitch up at Goodison Park now, it would be such a massive gear change for him. I mean, to the extent of a kind of, you know, handbrake turn, really. Somebody, t- I think it was Andrew Haig, tweeted um, earlier uh, this week, the dates at which Bielsa's taken every club job, he never, ever gets into a job mid-season, for obvious reasons. You know, he needs... We always laughed about the fact that when they, they started playing so well in that first season under him, like exceptionally well he sort of said we, we said how did you do this you know you only had one pre-season how did you do it and he was like well five or six weeks was fine for me to to do it and actually having coached international teams he felt he was quite good at players coming together and being able to transmit messages and, and drill them really really quickly but he still needed that five to six weeks you know he wasn't pretending that he could have done it without it and he is absolutely not going to get that at the moment um, because it's right in the thick of the season and Everton are in deep trouble and more than one person has said to me I just think that squad will turn to dust if he starts yeah. you know, I mean, like the, starts whipping them the, yeah the, the physical demands but then the shift to man-to-man marking yes um, this late in this, I say this late I know we're only halfway through but in terms of it, it feels like the season is shaping up is what I mean and we know it's well that, on isn't yeah. it yeah and to ask them to pivot to something as unique as that at this stage is it's playing with fire, isn't it? But if Mashiri wants Bielsa, then he's, it seems like he's pushing the boat out to get him. I don't want him to do that. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I don't think Mashiri wants, Mashiri gets. Yeah. If you know what I just don't think that's how it works with Bielsa. I think there's probably no nobody who Bielsa would just say yes to because they're paying him the money or whatever else. It all has to be right. I mean, the, the one job that he was dead set on taking was the Bilbao job. But the presidential candidate who who had backed him and, and had negotiated with him to take the post, didn't win the election. Um, so in the end, it was Valverde who who went in there. And, you know, the, the one thing in my head is, I mean, I'm totally, totally sceptical about this happening, but you'd never rule out anything with Bielsen. You never second guess him particularly. I just think you have to apply everything that you've learned about him. And when you do, you can't really convince yourself that this is this is going to happen. But I know that he's told people around him that he wants to get back in the game. And actually, having thought that Leeds would probably be the only English club that, that he would manage. He said to people he would quite happily come back and do another job in the Premier League. It's been a year almost since he went from Leeds and it's not not an extraordinarily long time, but it's taken him on to, to 67. And I guess if he wants to get back in and wants to coach again, he, he can't say no to everything, can he? Eventually there's got to be something that works. Mm. I think in different circumstances, Everton does make sense for him because it's it feels like the sort of club he would go for, kind of... Um, Working class city, yeah, glorious past, all that sort of stuff. But the, the circumstances he'd be going into seem 
disastrous for him. Do you know what, it, yeah. seemed, it feels like the I, sort of job he might walk out, he I, might take and then walk out of two weeks in. Yeah, or I can see him not taking it now and then saying, yeah, I'll do it if they go down. <laughs> Something well, like yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I always feel with Leeds that it's a city and a club more specifically with, with a lot of soul. And you two behave here, but the same is true of Liverpool. You know, and I think the same is true of Everton to a large degree as well. He would like, I think, the pretty fervent support that they have. They tell you that. And I think, if, <laughs> he, I, I think, I think he would relate to Liverpool more than he would quite a lot of other cities. Mm. Um, I think it, it would, it but would yeah, kind of I, suit him. I agree. Um, and let me just throw this one at you then. Saturday the 18th of February, Everton against Leeds. Are you, you, you going to say to me, are we going to be playing Bielsa? No, <laughs> but I was say, like, could you imagine a scenario where it's, oh, it's Everton I, against Leeds and let's imagine even even if Leeds are winning against Marcelo Bielsa's side um, with Jesse Marsh in charge, yet they're away and singing Bielsa's name. It, should, it makes for some interesting ideas, well, on the, it? On the flip side, Bielsa's in charge and Leeds are losing. You know, that's... Uh, well, I mean, that would be beyond because toxic, that, wouldn't that, it? Yeah. As it stands at the moment, that's going to be a mega fixture. You know, mm. that and Southampton, really, really important. And games that Leeds have got to win. Let's, to win. let's not do the yeah, shit. Moving too, on. It's making in, me too anxious. In two weeks' time, he's turned Dwight McNeil into Pablo Hernandez. It's <laughs> <laughs> making me too anxious thinking about it. Let's talk about Accrington Stanley, which is happening on uh, on Saturday lunchtime. Um, should be fun, this. I'm um, I'm sort of looking forward to this. I don't, am I a fool? Yeah, me too, actually. Am I a fool? Me too. Uh, more than I would have been Boreham Wood, I think. Um, Boreham Wood, it's a, it would have felt a bit like Fright Night. Um, Accrington Stanley might be Fright Night, but... Um, uh, Colleague of mine that I used to uh, watch with at the Yorkshire Post, Leo Mobshaw, confidently told he's he's got away with words his Mobshaw, but in broad terms, he was saying that Ashton's defence when he watched them against Barnsley was not great. Yes. Um, so and they're not they're not going particularly great guns in in League One either. So you know this is this is there to be won. Marsh given the impression today that he will play a strong team, and actually surely that the replay against Cardiff. Is just the blueprint for what to do at this stage of the the FA Cup. Play a sensible team, play a strong team. Don't mess about. More often than not, that's going to work for you. Yeah, get it won. Make yeah. your, make your subs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm looking forward to. Jorginho, we're going to see him. It sounds like he might start, which would be good. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing him um, and seeing what he's about. Don't you think his signing is kind of and then this talk of McKenney in particular? I think McKenney would would build on it, but it's been the catalyst for the for the sense that Leeds United has started its engine again recently yeah, where, where I, point, I, I, think. I think we'd yeah. kind of we'd hit a point of stasis under the, the current ownership and the feeling that we were living a little bit hand to mouth and that you know they did quite a bit of business in, in the summer but it was always kind of against the backdrop of we've sold these two players to, to fund these lot it feels like it's kind of just that the, the engine is just turning again now and we're starting to move forward potentially I feel like the unexpected joy of uh, Willie Nonto yes. has brought a lot of that as well it's, yeah, yeah. it's enthused people again yeah I, I don't feel I don't feel that Leeds have a crop of bad players at all. I, I, the defence is a concern, definitely. Um, but Ruter is a big signing. You know, he is. Whether you knew him or not, or knew anything about him or not, it's transfer record. And on that basis, it's it's a club pushing the boat out um, to get that done. And, you know, second half of the season is going to be, it's going to be absolutely critical Leeds finding good form at some point, as in winning games at some point. So he has to be central to that in the way that Nonto does as well. Nonto will be absolutely key, I think, between now and May. But this could be a really good game just to get, you know, just to start um, start the fire um, with Ruta, I think. Um, and hopefully, good result. If it's not raining on Saturday, I'll be confident. <laughs> Wiping um, moisture off the lens of the camera well, and all that, yeah. yeah from, a mean, I, from a garden shed on top of the stand, yeah. I've written for today, if you're listening on Friday, basically about the FA Cup banter years at least. <laughs> so, you know, from Heston to Sutton and Newport and everything else. And I, I got in touch with Ben Parker about the Heston game and Parker was saying he was really angry beforehand because he expected to play. Alan Sheen had been injured. Parker had been in at left back. Thought, oh, you know, it's on the telly. I'll get a game of this. Gary McAllister said to him on the morning of the game, you're on the bench. Sheen's going to play. So Parker said, you know, I was absolutely fuming about this. But then we got to Heston and I thought... I might have dodged the bullet here. Because he said, <laughs> in his view, his opinion is, and I find it very difficult to disagree with this, had it not been on the telly, I don't think that game would have gone ahead. Or, I, you know, I still, it's still surprising me that it, that it went ahead. Because honestly, we, we sat and typed afterwards. And by the time we went, it was pitch black and it rained and it rained and it rained. And as we were leaving the ground, 
you could hardly see a blade of grass on the pitch. It was like a swimming pool in front of you. But as Parker said, it wasn't like we could use, you know, it wasn't like we could all come out and blame that and say, oh, never mind, you know. But so there was just that horrible moment in the second half where we sit and watch and think, having gone from, you know, we'll have the quality to dig this out to we are banging trouble here, banging <laughs> trouble. And I remember my, um, my wife messaged me because I, I popped up randomly on the TV feed, um, just the camera. <laughs> camera was looking at Eddie Gray and I happened to be sitting behind Eddie in the press box and there's about five minutes to go. My wife sent me a message saying, cheer up. <laughs> <laughs> I messaged her back saying, they're the, in deep shit here. They are in real, <laughs> real danger of about the worst defeat um, you could you could possibly imagine. And uh, yeah, happy memories of the postman heading in. Although Jesse was praising the pitch today, actually, wasn't he, at Accrington? So hopefully less of an issue. Yes, I haven't seen it myself, but hopefully it is uh, it is decent. I did see somebody tweeting kind of uh, patronising things about Accrington Stanley and, and, a, and an Accrington fan bit back and said, we're a League One club, you know, we're mm. not in the blooming Sunday League here. I think there's quite, it, it sounded like a, a battle, um, the replay with, with Boreham Wood, but it's not the same thing. You know, Accrington are a football league side, Boreham Wood aren't. And the odds say that Leeds should should come through this. Um, it's not a particularly recognisable squad at Accrington Stanley. They've got Delfonso, who you might remember was at Aston Villa back in the day, and was one of those players that was sort of perennially linked with Leeds on loan through the Simon Grayson era. The top scorer is a guy called Tommy Lee. Not that one. Um, he, he scored the winner. Have you, seen, have you seen a lot of him? <laughs> um, yes, analysed him to death. Yeah, I'll, I'll give John Miller a shout later on. He'll know. But I think it's been a hard season for them so far. They, they've not they've not got much momentum, haven't had much impetus in, in League One. But the fact that it's away from home makes it a far more dangerous game than if it was Ellen Road, I think. And we know as well, Angus Kinnear has been... Uh... Uh, leaning on Jesse Marsh, telling him to get us through in the Cups. So it, it feels like there has been, definitely off the back of that first Cardiff game, perhaps a reinforcing of that message where he's saying, listen, we really would like to do something this year. I'm not saying that they haven't taken any interest in the Cup previously, but it feels like this is the first season in a long time where it's actually been part of the strategic aim for the season, you know, is, is to to make proper progress. And the FA Cup has been quite damaging for certain managers over the years. I think Bielsa Crawley was... And that, I mean, that was a really poor defeat and very poor performance and a and really odd day because he left players at home and big players at home. He, he made what looked like pre-decided substitutions, which didn't, um, which didn't work, didn't help. And, and, you know, in the end, they, they just got completely outgunned by Crawley, which was, um, which was weird. But there weren't really any sleep lost about that. Don't get me wrong, you know, people wanted to make progress, but... They were, go, they were going through a good Premier League season. They were midway through it at that point. So it was just one of those things. But Thomas Christensen, the, the defeat that he suffered at Newport County was definitely part of his slide towards the sack, without any question. If you look at McAllister's record, you know, Heston was a, a problematic point, which did not get any better from there. You know, he was gone. That was um, early December. He was gone by Christmas. Um, and then there was Gary Monk at Sutton, you know, that kind of famous infamous lineup, um, and him sort of saying afterwards it felt as if the whole thing was about transfers you know the transfers that he wanted doing and which weren't happening and I remember us asking him afterwards you know what do you expect to, to happen in the last couple of days of the window because we were right close to the deadline at that point to which he just said well you'd be better off asking the club than me and I mean you know Ooh. that is yeah that's like it's Classic example of a manager saying not very happy. We've uh, we've done a full episode on that. We, Have you? Yeah, we made we made it to what, about twenty three minutes as well. <laughs> uh, twenty three minutes talking just about that game. Artificial very little pitch. about the game really. Yeah, it was just we were just terrible. Yeah. Was was the short version just of what confu- happened during the game? Confused by the lineup. Just conf- well, confused by the outcome. Just yeah. everything was confusing. I mean, the feeling the feeling of Leeds at Newport with Christensen was that it, it was just asking for trouble that lineup, but not quite to the extent that Marshes was Marsh uh, Marshes. Sorry. Gary Monks. Monks seemed set up to lose. I think Christensen wanted to go there, hopefully win the game, but didn't want to risk many first-team players. And of course, there was the unbelievable backfire of deciding at late notice that actually we'll take Saez and stick him on the bench. And then Saez comes on and gets sent off for spitting and gets a six-game ban. The whole thing was just, you know, it was just a, a debacle, really. Um, but, you know, the, these games can do quite a lot of damage to you if you're, you're not careful. And I was saying last week that I'd bumped into a Leeds fan last week who said he'd put money on Leeds to win the cup. I think it was 40 to 1 and put a fiver on. And it, it, 
So if you bet a fiver, you lose a fiver. Well, yes, you you might say that. But you see, his <laughs> his rationale was that it's it, it's Accrington or Boldenwood next. So there's a fair chance that Leeds win that tie. And then after that, it starts to come down to the draw, doesn't it? Yeah. Who you who you land, and and sometimes it you you know, if if you get a good draw where you come up against low league opposition, then you can expect to progress. And if you don't get terrible draws, then it really comes down to how you perform on the day. And if you do show up, and if you do you know you do play well, then you you really have got a chance of getting further down the line. It would be nice. I say I've, I've covered very little. I've covered isolated games which have been great. You know, Old Trafford as an example, and. Arsenal around about that time and Tottenham as well but very little in the way of an actual you know sustained cup run It does look like the cup is quite open this year as well I mean I know you always inevitably come up against one of the uh, the European Super League teams in the last you know well either the final or the last four but you're going to lose either Man City or Arsenal Yes at this stage which takes care of one of the big boys and then you know Brighton could potentially beat Liverpool the way things are shaping up uh, it does. It looks quite open, actually. This this draw. So we get to lose to Brighton instead. Is that? What, yeah. is that the... <laughs> I mean, won't won't that hurt? That'd be a dreadful doubt at Wembley, won't it? That... Bear, bear in mind as well that as you get further into the season, clubs clubs have to get the priorities in order, and uh, we shouldn't pretend that Leeds might not have to either, because obviously not by no means safe and secure in the table at the moment. But to use City and Arsenal as examples, I mean, City in particular have so much depth. This doesn't tend to be a massive problem for them. There will come a point at which absolutely everything at both clubs, and I think Arsenal in particular, is focused on the title. You know, absolutely everything is aimed at that because that's the that's the only thing that really is going to matter to them as they, they get into the running. And likewise, you've got clubs who will be in Europe and trying to finish top four and, and all sorts. So I almost feel like if you can kind of sneak up quietly on the rails through a few rounds, then you just never know. I was just looking at Wigan's run to the final and ultimately they obviously beat Man City, which was... A massive upset, but to get there, they they played Bournemouth, Macclesfield, Huddersfield, Everton, and Millwall. Mm. That'd be doable. Yeah. Why, why can't we have a nice run? Well, third of June—that's the date for the cup final. And I looked because my birthday is always around the sort of cup final, kind of Champions League final day. And it's, I, I miss it by a few days, which is for the best, I think, because uh, the the playoff final, the Doncaster one at Wembley, was my dad's birthday. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're doing another walk in summer, and I did plan around the FA Cup. When you say we. Well, Phil is definitely it, doing it. It was a royal we, yeah. Thanks for coming on board again, Phil. Lending us your support. <laughs> yeah, I did I did look at the FA Cup date. I thought I know it's almost certainly completely irrelevant to this. But but just in case, let's yeah. put it the week after. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? What leads in the FA Cup about, final? About three people show up for the walk. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear me. I mean, let's Let's walk before we run, I would say. Yeah, probably, yeah, no, but, absolutely. But just, you, you can just dream. Stay, you can just dream. stay in it and then it adds a bit of fun to the season. Like like Michael was saying about Nonto, you know, the, the little bits that keep you engaged and the kind of bright sparks that, that every single club needs. And if at some point you can ally that with improved form in the league and some results that make it far more comfortable, then potentially you could be in for quite a, a nice, happy second half of the season. Some moments to celebrate. Yes. That's what we're looking for, Jesse. And some breaking news. How's this? We're doing breaking news. Oh, go on. There are picture exclusives that the, the mail is um, putting out just now. People will know this if they're listening. Obviously after the event, but Marcelo Bielsa arriving at Heathrow Airport. Wow. Pictured, photographed. Yes. Well, it has to be said that he would not be coming to England for a laugh, really. So very much, <laughs> very much watch this space. Well, interesting times ahead. Interesting times ahead. We'll watch that one, won't we? And we will join you again on Monday. We didn't even touch on the aspect of Bales taking over from Lampard, did we? I mean, it's, it's, too, delicious. Of, it's too delicious. After for, all of that. The problem is, though, that given where we are in the table and where Everton are in the table, it's it's too close for comfort, isn't it? Mm. I think. We, we'll laugh about it at the end of the season. He, he looks in such good shape. He does, doesn't he? Uh, just looking at him walking through um, walking through the lounge there. Yeah, he's, he's, he's properly, properly shed weight and he's properly kept it off. He's given the um, photographer a proper quality <laughs> glare <laughs> as well, glare, isn't yeah. he? Like, who are you? Yeah, I, I mean, it's... It's nice to see him still wears Adidas as well, really. really just an extraordinary story, if it happens. It, it really would be. And as I say, just so different to any job he's taken on previously, the circumstances of it. So let's see. Monday, you and I, Phil, then we will debrief the, uh, the FA Cup game at Accrington. Yes. We'll speak to you then. Thank you very much. The Phil Hay Show.